Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, July 7th. We are back in Indianapolis after nine days on the road. Had such a pleasure getting the chance to travel to the Altix Steislinger Tennis Exhibition JC Aragonese event in Miami. We then got to hit the road and head up to Lexington for this past weekend's Young Kings Scholarship Tennis event. Eight of the top ATP players at JC's event. Eight of the top WTA singles player in the world in Lexington this past weekend. And we got to see all of the action up close here at Cracked Rackets. We also got the chance to speak to, I believe, 14 of the 16 players on camera. You can expect to see all all of those interviews dropping over the course of the next couple of weeks. We don't want to kill super producer Daniel Westoff, who did, I would say, 90% of the driving. And I think in total, we were on the road for somewhere about like 36 hours. We drove from Indianapolis to Miami. We then drove Miami to Kentucky. And let me just say, folks, there is not a lot to see in Florida. It's a lot of swampland. I learned that across my journey as well. I did fall in love with the, I suppose, geography of Tennessee. Anyways, that's a story for another time. The point being, we got a ton of great content. It's just great to get the chance to speak with all of these players, particularly given how fluid everything is right now on the ATP WTA ITF tours. Obviously, news dropping over the past couple of days uh, regarding a revised tour schedule. We saw the cancellation of a couple of ITF events uh, here in the United States uh, due to concerns about the coronavirus, due to travel restrictions in place. Obviously, World Team Tennis getting ready to go. The U.S. Open, Cincinnati, the City Open, Palermo, all getting set as of right now. Uh, There's also some more scheduling news that, I'm not going to lie, we're sitting on here at Cracked Rackets. We don't have the green light to report it just yet, Uh, but we have some other things that we are aware of going on in the tennis world, and you know, again, that's just to point out, I say that not to, you know, offer a tease. I suppose that was a bit of a tease, but so as to say, uh, things are still very fluid, and so to get the chance to be in person, speak with these players, hear how they're feeling about tennis's return in 2020. It was a very informative experience, and I look forward to sharing the insights I learned today. Uh, of course, I will inevitably end up talking about some of the performances as well, because to get to see live tennis in action, particularly to hear from these players how seriously they seem to be taking these exhibition events, given how close to uh, the tour may be to resuming. I learned some things, and so, of course, I want to share them today. I did not, however, want to go on an endless monologue. I wanted to share my thoughts, hear back from someone, you know, hear a little bit of criticism. I want to hear why I might be wrong, maybe hear why I might be right as well. And so joining me today, of course, because it is a Tuesday, and we want to get back into the rhythm of things here on the mini break. So for another edition of Technique Tuesday, you know him, of course, as a former standout for the UCLA men's tennis team, the current hitting partner for Naomi Osaka. And of course, one of the co-founders of our friends at My Tennis HQ, Karu Sal. Karu, welcome back to the show. It has been far too long. Uh, it's good to have you back. What's up, man? 
Good, good to be back. Yeah, it's, it feels like we've been, what, on a month break. No, it was weird because it was, I think, on a Tuesday, coincidentally, and you were texting someone else in my vicinity, and I was like, wait, I should be talking to Carew today. Of course, I'm talking yeah. about JC Aragoni. He's like, yeah, man, Carew's messaging me asking why he's not here in Miami, and I'm like, wait a second, you know Carew. I, you're talking about my friend Carew? Like, is this a different Carew? Um, yeah. I'm like, no, of course, Carew sell. Uh, so it's good to get to speak to you, I suppose, myself. Yeah, no, I have some thoughts on that. Good. Quite the friend JC is turning out to be. Uh, I, I see that now, just like he's getting all these sponsors and making events. He just doesn't, he forgets about his friends. So I know I see how it is, JC, if you're listening to it. Well, uh, for the duration of the tournament, I I referred to him as Captain, and I told him to call me his commander uh, because he was in (laughs) charge, and I was like, whatever you need from me, Captain. Uh, Of course, I was also, yeah, his lovely fiance as well. Uh, It was just an incredible time, and he deserves a ton of credit. All the credit he's gotten, it's deserved. It was also, again, great to be on site. We can talk about that. I also want, again, to talk to you today about some of the news going on in the tennis world because I haven't really gotten the chance to share my thoughts. Curious to hear hear your thoughts as well. Again, uh, there was the exhibition event, the All-American Cup, whatever it was called, sponsored by our friends at DraftKings uh, in Atlanta. That was John Isner's event. And, you know, I have thoughts to share on that as well. I'm sure you do too. Uh, Then I want to, I'm curious your thoughts on all the scheduling things going on, how you would approach scheduling given all the uncertainty right now in the tennis world. But all right, let's start with the exhibitions. I got to give my thoughts because I was there and, you know, we'll get to Lexington in a second. I don't know how much of that you saw. I know for a fact you were tuned into Miami because again, I saw you texting JC. Uh, Let's, I want to hear from your perspective, your thoughts seeing that event on Tennis Channel, because we have seen similar exhibitions. There was the Mayu tr event early on i think that was in boca or palm beach or something like that of course yeah. there have been other larger scale exhibitions you know uts and the adria tour which we don't have to go through again but you know your thoughts on jc's event seemed like it was super well run huh? I, um, I mean to be able to pull off bringing all those names to play in a safe environment um clearly there wasn't that many people there and and you know, it looks pretty safe, but it's still fun for the players and being able to make some extra cash too right now. Um, I mean, hats off for him to, to for pulling that off and, uh, you know, getting the sponsors and all that. Uh, it was really, really cool to see. Yeah, I thought the level of tennis was really high as well. I'll say this, and I have this in my notes of things I wanted to talk with you about today. I don't want to, you know, hop on the bandwagon. I'm supposed to be impartial. I suppose I'm a journalist, put quotation marks around it. I consider a lot of you guys my friends, which maybe it speaks to my flaws or maybe my lack of professional training. Anyways, I got to spend a lot of time with Mackie McDonald this past couple of weeks, these past four days. Yeah. Uh, what a great guy. I- I'm such yeah. a fan. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's just, uh, he's funny. He's good at everything. Uh, like not, never play like any games with him because he always ends up finding a way to win uh, and whatnot. But yeah, he's a he's a good one. 
Yeah, the reason I bring it's funny you say that because I asked him at one point in one of our conversations, you know, he's been injured, he had the hamstring injury, and for him to have that sort of layoff tennis wise, and also for yeah. him to have that sort of injury, given how important movement is to his game, I was like, was it hard for you to come back to the court? And what was more difficult, the movement aspect or getting back your tennis game? And he goes, to be honest, the tennis part was really easy. <laughs> I just thought that was, I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so to yeah. get him play this weekend again, to, I think he played uh, Hubi. I think he played Sam Query, and I don't remember who he played in his second match. I know he won that second match. Uh, he looks healthy. Hubi Herkouts is outstanding. I will say this, and yeah, I have an ego. I'm sorry. I host three podcasts. If that's news to you, Cracked Rackets listeners, I, again, apologize for bursting that bubble. Um, Hubi celebrates the tweener by putting his arms in the air, right? Like, that's yeah. the big moment. His He looks in celebration. That's what I was doing, and he's looking directly at me because <laughs> him and I, we, we became buddies this weekend. Again, I'm selling it a lot. Is, am I going to get invited to the eventual Hubie Hercott's wedding? Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we were, you know, friendly towards one another. I will share this story uh, on the second day in the morning. Uh, Super producer Daniel Westoff and I are walking from our hotel from Miami to the site, and it was because we didn't want to overwhelm the parking. You know, it's a small house. Uh, we only had to bring our backpacks. The rest of our equipment was there. Uh, we're wearing our masks. We're walking on the sidewalk. It's 8.30 a.m. We're in Miami Beach. You know, it's a it's like the notable road, like down Miami Beach, and we're walking, and we must look mm-hmm. like scrubs, right? It's 8.30. Yeah. We're sweating. You know, we're schwitzing like hazards. It's unbelievable. And who drives by in this beautiful car? It's Hubie Hercots and his coach, Craig Boyton. And Carew, I swear to God, and they would confirm this story, they wave to us. They both start <laughs> waving because their top is down, and they are waving to us. And we wow, wave was, back. And it was just was, hilarious. I mean, that was a – you really took your time to get to that wave, huh? Like, that was the most anticipated <laughs> wave I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> well, look. Again, that's why I host multiple, multiple podcasts. I can sell a story. Uh, but go. so that's my way of saying we became friendly during the course of the thing. And I was happened to be sitting right next to his coach when he hit that tweener. And my arms went up in the air, and so did his. And it was just – it was the most joyful moment. It was that sort of moment I have just missed more than anything. That's why I wanted to share the story. I'm sure you could hear the you know the joy I have in my face as I'm sharing it. Uh, but Hubie Hercots was outstanding. Brandon Nakashima's the real deal, Carew. Yeah, no, he's good. He's he just good. Has I haven't to... like I haven't like really stopped and watched him like in a full match, but like just looks he looks like he has uh, no holes. That's the that's so I want to give you some homework because you talk about how to beat better players. I would love to hear what would your game plan be in attacking Brandon Nakashima, and I'm not going to ask it for you today. Like I said, that's a little homework for I have, you. I have to uh, I have to watch him play, but like he seems like. He seems like he's one of those guys that it's hard to like really think about where to hit the ball because they just kind of do everything really well. Because he's not an exceptional athlete, but he's good. He anticipates yeah. well. He has very few holes. You know, the backswing, I guess, is a little big on the forehand, but he makes up for it with his timing. You know, the backhand's yeah. already exceptional. He doesn't love to move forward, but he will move forward. 
like you said, it's not glaringly obvious, and so I'm curious how you would approach that match. But again, we'll, we talk about that for another time. Uh, yeah. Tennis Sandgren, and again, we don't have to talk about Tennis Sandgren and everything else that comes with him, strictly from a tennis perspective. Oh, I love guy, that. Guy's one of the five fittest players on tour. Yeah, I love tennis. I was When we got to Australia, I remember texting Marcos. Like watching his, I was watching his match. I was like, bro. His bicep is bigger than Rafa now. Like, what the fuck is going on? Sorry. <laughs> uh, like, well, how has this guy gotten this jacked? Um, and he was just, like, dropping, like, you know, 135 all the time. I was like, dude. He, like, he went Bryson DeChambeau before Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> no, the guy is – yeah. And, again, in case it's been so long, you got to keep in mind we're allowed to swear on this podcast, Karu. The guy's a f***ing beast. He just is. Like, he is that exceptional of an athlete. And, you know, he was – I would say of all of the guys there, and, you know, they're all still in pretty good shape. I thought that was the big takeaway as well as it's clear they've all been putting in work. And I think in the modern day, you just have to be in shape 24-7 if you want to ex- uh, succeed at a high level in professional tennis. And they all were in good shape. Now, he even admits this in an interview we did. Stevie J did not play well this weekend, but that happens. And so you take exhibitions with a grain of salt. It wasn't because of the fitness, although, again, it was was hot. It was so very hot. You know, uh, well, this gets to something in Lexington. We were on the Tennis One app doing the play-by-play broadcast, and I dropped an F-bomb (laughs) mid-broadcast because – and then I just – so someone – there was something that came up about World Team Tennis. I'm scrambling stories here, folks. Again, you're really getting behind the scenes me this uh, today, Karu, because my yeah. brain's still in a million places. But we were on the play-by-play broadcast. Rachel Stuhlman was joining me, and she made some sort of comment about my fandom for World Team Tennis that, I don't know, just push the sort of button that it does when it's day three and you've been in the sun for nine straight days and it's ten hours a day. And so I go, Rachel, that's f- and then I go, and I I stop myself as the C gets out, and I was like, and then I go, screw that, and then I pause again because the screw that was my way of saving the sentence, and then I go, FCC send me the bill uh, because that was just it was a slip up, it was a faux pas, yeah. and it was my one faux pas, and I apologize, and thankfully Randy Master immediately texted me and he goes, that was pretty funny, you handled that well, like don't worry about it, and I was like, okay, phew, um, but. Anyways, that was a good time. Um, all I don't even remember what I was saying before. Oh, to get back to Tennis Sandgren, yeah. The guy is in incredible shape, and it showed, and that's why he ended up winning the event. And I think I'm definitely looking forward, hypothetically, to seeing these players return on tour because I thought they were playing some really good tennis, and it's impressive to yeah. see that through all these circumstances they've been able to keep their level uh, as high as it was. And again, we will have a ton of content coming out uh, on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. All of the interviews we did, we were able to do some post-match. We did some in the pool that they had on site. Of course, we were socially distanced, six feet apart in the pool. Uh, but you know, how often do you get to say you interviewed a top 100 player in a pool? Uh, none of the players, they all said these were their first in-pool interviews. It was mine as well, for sure. So that was a ton of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other takeaways for you, Karu, from Miami? No, I think uh, think you covered it well, man. (laughs) I appreciate you you saying that. I mean, you were there. (laughs) No, again, and it was such a privilege. And I guess let's go from that 
And we can talk about Lexington in a little bit. Certainly, again, it was equally, if not more enjoyable for me than Miami because I had the added component of getting to be on the play-by-play call, of getting to see a healthy CeCe Bellis, a, you know, Katie McNally succeeding, Layla Fernandez, Jeannie Bouchard, Jessica Bagula, Shelby Rogers looking exceptional. I have a lot of Lexington thoughts too, uh, but I think I, you know, from Miami, we have to talk about another one of the biggest storylines right now in tennis. And again, Technique Tuesday. I promise I'm not ignoring that today, Carew. Um, but we had it in Atlanta, the All-American Cup, Generation Now versus Next Gen, you know, Opelka, Fritz, Paul, Tiafo versus Isner, Query, Johnson, Sandgren. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, uh, there was a lot of uh, turmoil, and I talked about it a little bit uh, last week when it happened. Isner getting defensive is a kind way of putting it about yeah. on someone on Twitter going at him saying, you're putting everyone at risk by holding this event with fans. And, you know, rather than saying, well, actually we're following state local official guidelines and the state has given us permission to have 250 fans. And we are following all these additional procedures to ensure that safety measures are in place. And we are trying to prevent something like we just saw with the Adria tour. Instead of giving a well-reasoned, well-measured response, he got defensive and he got emotional and he just made a mistake. You know, it, there's no other way to, of putting it other than, you know, he, I'm, I'm not going to swear, but he screwed up. He screwed up. And yeah. he got defensive. He said, you Corona bros, go do your thing. You know, I, I tweeted, I, Corona bros was the term he used. I'm not going to go through the tweet again this week. But obviously, then this weekend, we found out Friday, Francis Tiafo plays his match against Sam Query Saturday it's announced that he has tested positive for COVID-19. And of course, Tiafo then comes out, releases a statement saying he had not been feeling well. He wouldn't have had to play the event anyways. Of course, the event goes on. They finish the event this weekend. They continue to allow fans. They don't cancel upon hearing about this positive test. And, you know, there are many questions that, uh, you know, many aspects of the story I think we should discuss because there's A, should they have canceled? There's B, if this is the procedure we should expect in Cincinnati U.S. Open, is it, hey, a player tested positive and now we're going to cancel the entire event? Or do we think if professional tennis is going to come back, if someone tests positive like they have on the PGA Tour, that you can continue event, that that player then is removed from the event and you can keep playing? And there are a couple of different aspects you want, you know, to talk about. Of course, there's also the added component that this event had fans from the get-go. And so that's probably where we have to start, Carew. From a player's perspective, right now, would you be comfortable playing an event with fans? And then I guess B, you know, from the pundit perspective, do you think it was a good idea following state and official guidelines? It's not like John Isner, you know, did something illegal. He followed the guidelines. Whether you agree with those guidelines or not is a separate question from whether they're in place. He had the option, though, to go the additional, you know, measure and say no fans were going to do it just on camera like we did in Miami and in Lexington. You know, it would be hypocritical of me to say from the get-go they shouldn't have played the event because I was just at two events. So I'm not going to be doing that, folks. I apologize. But guess what? Our events weren't with fans. And so I don't feel it's hypocritical for me to say, you know, or for me to comment on the event. Again, I just talked a lot there. I apologize. It's been a while since I've shared the mic with anyone. Maybe I should have just gone (laughs) solo today. But, Carew, your thoughts again on A, would you be comfortable playing an event like that? B, do you think they should have had fans? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think they should have 
should have had fans. It's like, what is 250 people or no people? It's kind of like the same thing. You know what I mean? It's like, what's the point? I just don't know if the, the reward you're getting for those 250 people is that big of a deal. Um, and then, I mean, I guess I'd feel comfortable. Even if someone caught it, I don't think like I would like, let's say pull out or would expect the event to be canceled. Um, but then again, I don't know. It's like such a weird thing, right? Like it's such, such a weird time, but I just don't, yeah, I just don't, I feel like I would be okay. Like with the term and keep like, just keep going if someone caught it and just like maybe pulled out. So I, I don't know. So not, not that I don't think it's a big deal the the COVID thing. I just think we're just kind of reached that point mentally. They're just kind of like, oh, let's just like see how it goes. Yeah, and you know, again, there needs to be a serious conversation, and it is being had. Of is that acceptable? Are we just at a point yeah. where we're accepting? We're saying, hey, we need tennis as a business needs to continue. There are inherent risks yeah. in continuing. Every corporation, every business is taking risks by going on, and therefore, you know, is it worthwhile for tennis to continue given how risky yeah. it is? It seems the answer to that question is going to be yes, and that's the reality yeah. we're living in. And again, if you are someone who believes that there just shouldn't be tennis, that you know, as of right now, it is more important. And in particular, you have to keep in mind, things are worse in the United States than they are elsewhere around the globe. Now, of yeah. course, the coronavirus still exists around the globe, and there are other places, South America in particular, uh, that are similar to the United States, but that's a big piece of this component as well. It's the fact that Cincinnati and the U.S. Open are taking place within the United States, that you know the Europe has gone as far as to ban people from the United States into coming into the European Union because yeah. uh, they're not comfortable with their backgrounds, and that, that reality is hanging over all of this and so that's the prism within which this conversation has to be had is are events in America feasible at this point and we saw today by the way again the USCA announcing officially a cancellation of three events I believe those events uh, were the Lexington women's event there was one in Landisville Pennsylvania as well one in Concord on the women's side and then the Decatur and Memphis tournaments canceling in august by the way it turns out they do cancel the decatur illinois that's a you know a statement of how things are yeah that that they're canceling decatur um but you talk to these players on the ground, and it's funny because, Karu, they sound a lot like what you've just said. Riley Opelka was so candid in his interview. He said, look, I understand that if by playing this event, I am putting myself at risk, and it's not about me being at risk because as an athlete, I think I will be okay. He said, I am not afraid of this virus and what it will do to me. But then, of course, I can be an asymptomatic carrier and, and impact other people in my circle, and that's why – Given that fact, given how much uncertainty continues to surround these events, uh, all of these players continue to sound less and less certain that it's going to be likely for tennis to resume at the scale uh, that it's hoping to, to play a Grand Slam level event. And, you know, we've heard today, uh, news come out of the WTA and those players saying, well, we want a regional tour. And we heard today there's going to be revised rankings, right? It's going to be 18 months or, or I think your best 18 events. And so, you know, for the, if, 
for this back half of the year, you do worse at the U.S. Open, like your Rafa Nadal, and you lose fourth round because you won it last year. You get to keep your winner's points from last year. And, you know, of course, again, we just want to see pro tennis resume, and it's part of the contract with ESPN. If there aren't rankings point for the U.S. Open, that ESPN gets to pay the U.S. Open less. So, of course, there are going to be ranking points. That's a key component of the story. That's why we can't just scrap the ranking system for the rest of the year. Uh, There have to be ranking points for money reasons. But I don't know, man. I, I like the the moment Francis Tiafo tested positive. I will say I saw. I think it was Tara Moore's tweet, and I got up because I'm a freak, and I have to get up and I have to run in the morning before I do the broadcast. Otherwise, I'm gonna be sitting all, in the booth all day, just being like, oh, I'm such a loser. I didn't do anything physical today. And I get up in the morning, and I see Tara Moore has tweeted hearing someone in Atlanta tested positive, and my immediate reaction was. Alex, four of the guys in Atlanta were also in Miami with you the day before. And so let's look at the odds. Four of the field, four of the eight in the field could have been in Miami with you and could have been people who tested positive. Should I go into quarantine this immediate second? And then, of course, it ended up being Francis Tiafo. And, you know, it's, again, there's another part of the conversation someday to tweet out an unsubstantiated rumor that an unnamed player might have tested positive in these sort of heightened times of heightened awareness and heightened precaution and heightened concern. Like, don't be doing that unless you yeah. know it for certain and you have the player and you have the name and you can guarantee it. Please, please, please don't be doing that. At the same time, I was ready to go into quarantine. I was ready to say, shut it down. And the fact that they did not only didn't do that in Atlanta, but they continued to allow fans, grossly irresponsible. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I just, I, I just think they could have lived without having the fans. It's like what you know what I mean. It's like you're not bringing like huge revenue from 250 people, so it's like whatever. Like don't have them. Yeah. Again, it's about the compromises that have to be made to see pro tennis return. And that was the thing in Lexington. And I'm spoiled because – and in Miami because I was there, right? I was on site. It's like you only got to watch it on TV. I still think it looked awesome. You know, of course, I was – got to be there in person and it felt awesome to be back at an event but there weren't crowds there weren't these huge fan sections players were keeping their distance it wasn't like you know concessions were popping and it wasn't a normal event it was an event with precautionary measures taken to ensure that it could happen and i just think that's the key like be reasonable Wear a f***ing mask. Like, I promise it's not the end of the day. If I can wear it in 110-degree heat for, you know, 10 hours in a row, it's not the end of the world to do. And, again, I agree with you. If it means we all have to be in our homes, in our beautifully air-conditioned, hopefully, homes where you're comfortable, and if you have to go to the bathroom or you want concessions, you can go to the fridge. Like, is that the worst thing in the world? No, it's not. And so, for John Isner, A, it was how combative he was. That was just... Don't he got defensive? It just it, it was not handled properly. It was just it was not handled properly, and that's of course part of the you know part of the reasoning. Uh, but part two, it's just from the beginning, it was an unnecessary risk. And why would we take? It's just now is not the time for unnecessary risk, particularly when, as you mentioned, the upside of that risk was just so minimum. It's so yeah, minimal. Exactly. Like you're not getting anything from it unless everyone's paying fifty thousand dollars a person to be there. Yeah. So no. yeah, and, no, and it's like 
And it's like maybe there were sponsorship obligations, and it's a money thing, and it very often is a money thing. And look, we're part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. This event was on Tennis Channel, and Ben Rothenberg got into some heat because he tweeted out, why is Tennis Channel making the decision to air an event like this and you know, give credence and give a platform to an event that hypothetically is putting people in danger? And I, you know, Ben is a friend of mine. Like I – but and I to some degree I think he has a point by endorsing it by paying the sponsorship dollars by encouraging people to go there to make money. Of course, you, I think you deserve to be criticized because you're putting people at risk. At the same time, tennis is a business, and for me, the takeaway from my experience was just do the events without fans. Like, yeah. just just do it without fans. Don't put as as few people at risk as possible. That way, if a player tests positive, the precautions in place, you know, you're minimizing that player's court time. You're minimizing their exposure. There's no public locker room. Each person has their own individual space. Each person – now, you're putting a lot of faith in players, and there's also been discussion, should there be a strict player conduct call uh, – roll call or player conduct, uh, you know uh, – meet of obligations, whatever, player conduct agreement between them, the tournaments, the organizers. It, it's kind of like saying, hey, uh, you know, treating adults like children at the same time, they may deserve that at this point. I don't know. If a tournament came to you and said, hey, Carew, you have to follow this protocol, you know, these uh, conduct guidelines. Otherwise, we have the right to boot you out of the tournament. And if those guidelines meant you got to eat at the hotel, you got to stay at the hotel, you can't be going out, all of these different things would would it be worthwhile for you to play the tournament? And again, considering the circumstances, I guess. I mean, depends on how much they're paying, I guess, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know I see. I no, I, I apologize for the ranting at you. I'm I'm the, I'm going all in of, tonight. At the end of the day, like all the guys playing there, they've, they've made a lot of money, but like, you know, you don't really say no to whatever sixty k. Well, I don't know how much you get paid to play that, but I mean, it's just the way it is, and it's. I think we have worse things in the world than oh, I have to eat the eat at the hotel, like you know, it's like oh, what a first world problem, right? Yeah, so just I, follow the just follow the rules, like make make your you know the little bit of money that you can make us right now, especially for for you know some of these pros that don't just have money laying around and and make the best out of it, so at least people can play and at least people can watch. Um, so. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it as well. Um, these players are professional tennis players. Guess what professional tennis players want to do, Karu? It's going to shock you. You ready for this answer? No. Professional tennis players want to be playing professional tennis. They yeah. want to be out there competing. That's the thing they love to do most in the world. And so, you know, you talk to some of them. And it's very clear they're like, yes, if I have to stay in a hotel, again, I'm going to name drop him. Mackie McDonald, not a guy I'm concerned about. If you tell him, hey, man, just stay in your hotel. We're going to give you uh, you know, a delegated time block when you can go get your training in. He'd be like, that's a fair compromise. Um, yeah. It's We just need all 100% of players to lock into that. Without it, I'm becoming less and less certain that pro tennis can come back. I guess that's my takeaway. I don't know. Where are you right now feeling? You think pro tennis is coming back in 2020 or no? Um, I'm really in the fence right now. Like I kind of change my mind every day because I'll read something. I'm like, yeah, no way we're going to be able to have 128 people playing in a tournament. Plus, like I just kind of keep going back and forth. I, I 
I'm more negative about it. I feel like we might attempt one or two things, and it's just going to be a fiasco, and then they're just going to shut down the, the season. Um, but I think it's riding a lot on how the US Open goes. If the US Open is able to, to somehow pull this off, then I think everyone else is going to kind of, you know, follow along. Yeah, I also think, and again, at this point, I feel like it's worth disclosing. Well, this weekend, we worked with the Tennis One app, uh, the Tennis One app, the official app of the World Team uh, Team Tennis season. Carlos Silva, also someone we've had on the show multiple times, someone you know I consider myself friendly with. Uh, it's an excellent test case for this three-week quarantine bubble they want to do in New York because if all of these players get to the Greenbrier for this World Team Tennis season and there's a case that flares up and, you know, Francis Tiafo announced because he tested positive, he will not be participating in the World Team Tennis season. Uh, but if someone gets in there and COVID gets out and they continue to play or they stop play, you know, that's, again, that'll be another flashpoint. And I know, you know, talking to him, he's spoken with the press. As of now, the the con, or the or what would happen is that player would be pulled from the action and they would test everyone else and there's going to be frequent testing. And that's also an excellent piece for this World Team Tennis is they seem to be on top of the testing and, again, doing whatever they can to make sure these players are healthy at all times. Um, but it's a fascinating test case. And if World Team Tennis goes off without a hinge, you know, without a flaw, then I will feel much better come August. If it yeah. doesn't, we're back to square one. Yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, every event that that happens, it's kind of giving us, you know, a look at what can happen. So, you know, if they keep going smoothly, I think we're, we'll we we'll be okay. But if some, some, something happens at World Team Tennis, then I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And again, I think that's part of the problem is, or it's not even part of the problem, it's, it's, the fact it's the scale of the event these eight people events we're in in miami and lexington very easy to control the environment 128 people just for a men's draw 128 people for a women's draw as well doubles and all the various aspects that come with being a pro entourage that gets a little bit tougher there's no yeah. denying that and so again is our i'm feeling less and less certain is that my takeaway from this past time uh, anyways, those are the biggest story in tennis uh, right now. I'm sure there are a couple of other things we missed on. Again, I don't really want to talk about the revised rankings because until we actually see tennis, it doesn't really matter what the revised rankings look like. Again, I will point out all of our conversations from Lexington, from uh, Miami as well. You'll be able to see on our YouTube channel uh, in video form. I'm rocking sunglasses. My hair has gotten out of control. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm not comfortable going to get a hair cut yet crew but i'm comfortable going to a tennis yeah. event i feel much more I feel, i'm like tennis is my environment like these are my people like a haircut i don't know anything about a haircut i know everything about a tennis event um but anyways uh, you'll be able to see all of those on our youtube channel of course you'll be able to hear them in podcast form on our cracked interviews podcast uh, eventually as well a uh, huge shout out to our friends at midwest sports for supporting us again without them we're not able to go on trips like that if you go to midwestsports.com you use the promo code CR15. Not only will you get 15% off, you'll get free shipping on all orders exceeding uh, $75. You also get a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls. Again, all things uh, that you need as we all try to make our return to the tennis court. Uh, Midwest Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your tennis needs. 
Also, a huge shout-out to our friends at Aerobart. This is not a joke, Carew. I had an Aerobart each and every morning along the nine-day road trip. It was my fuel uh, to start my day the right way, and, you know, I wasn't even playing tennis, but it just gave me the right sort of energy I need. I can trust the ingredients that go into it. Of course, I ask all of you, go listen to our Getting to the Point episodes focusing on nutrition and health with our friends from Aerobart every Thursday on the mini break. Oh, we've had guests like Bjorn Fertangelo. Uh, you know, I've lost track of how many because they're so good. Jay Berger, Mike. Michael Russell, and more. Uh, you don't want to miss any of those episodes. Go check them out. Shout out to Diadem, by the way. They provide the balls for the event in Miami. They also gave me a sweet new hat that I was rocking in a bunch of our interviews. Go check out their website as well. Uh, they really are on the forefront of all innovation happening in the tennis equipment world right now. Anyways, all of that being said, crew, that's where I am at. At you know a little 35-minute monologue, uh, my recap of the past nine days. I'm sure there are other things I didn't mention in that rant we will get our i will get to in later episodes this week on the mini break podcast introducing coco golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe it's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette it's designed to enhance speed and power on the court the multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out the coco cg1 empowers you to dominate the game learn more and purchase the coco Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Uh, but of course, I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, what you guys are doing at My Tennis HQ because it is a Technique Tuesday, and that's what we like to do here on these episodes. Uh, so, Kuru, what have you guys been up to? Um, kind of the same thing, man, trying to produce content. Um, came, put out some videos recently on YouTube, a um, couple racket reviews, a couple just tips and tricks. Um so you know it's been good um but besides that yeah just the same same old just pumping out quality quant quant content yeah no i i first of all i am anti the term core that just shows you are in california i'm a man of the midwest through and through <laughs> Um, but no, I agree. You guys are always killing it at my tennis HQ. And, you know, this week we're talking about a subject near and dear to my heart because I was never the most talented guy whenever I stepped on the court. I think that's a product of my genetics. I have told my parents that to their face. Um, but nevertheless, they blessed me with other things like the ability to think through opponents. And so when you talk about stepping on the court, of course, there are going to be days when, or the, I mean, if I'm playing Jack Sock, it doesn't matter if I outthink no. him. He's just going to beat me because the talent gap is too big. But there is something too, even if the talent gap is within a you know a reasonable margin, outthinking your opponent on the court is such a valuable piece of tennis. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think sometimes it's that 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 thing where you know you step on the court already kind of defeated because whatever they're a little bit better um you know in rankings or this and that but if it's within reach a lot of times our mind will you know make us it will you be almost like defeated before you start uh start the match so you know if, if again the talent is within reach if you know the ball striking the level is within reach there's no reason for you to not step on the court thinking that you can you can win the match for you, when you step on the court, I mean, were you someone in your pro career who, if you saw an opponent, you would watch film of that opponent before? Or do you really start the, you know, are you asking people for scouting reports? For you, when does the process of breaking down an opponent's game begin? Um, 
warm up when we we're doing the five minute warm up. So I was doing that. I I didn't scout. I mean, I was playing futures. Like how we're gonna see film from who at futures? Come on, man. Well, uh, you know, if it's a college guy, maybe you can find uh, some stuff on YouTube. Yeah, barely. Um, but yeah, just kind of like you talk to each other. You kind of and once you're kind of on the tour, you everyone knows each other uh, by then. So yeah, I, I mean, it usually was just on the warm up. Uh, just really pick up on some cues really quickly during the five minute warm up. See forehand back and uh, try to just kind of get a feel for it, and then start to start breaking down from there. Was Billy ever a guy who would break down players, you know, clips beforehand? And yeah, then send co- it to coaches you? like that. They they like that. They will you know talk to us, be like, this guy's forehand, this guy's back, and whatever. They all they have like you know, scouting reports from every team pretty much. So, you know, they'll talk about it, but it wasn't necessarily that big of a deal. Can you give me some insight into what that scouting report might look like? I'm just curious. So hold on. I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't remember. It's been four years. I I don't remember. Like I didn't really pay attention to be honest. (laughs) I I was playing five or six. I was like, Billy, I'll be fine. Is there a guy in college who, who do you think you matched up the most with in college? Uh, Matched up the most? Like, who did you I, play the most? I played uh, a couple of SC guys I played a lot, um, Eric Johnson and Johnny Wang. Okay, so yeah. if you're playing EJ, I'm sorry, I don't know you, Eric Johnson. I don't know why I felt the need there. Like, I could call you <laughs> EJs if I know you. But anyway, you're playing Eric Johnson. How are you approaching that match from a game plan perspective? I mean, EJ was tough. EJ was one of my worst matchups at the time because he played heavy on the forehand side and took the time away the back end. He really, like, threw me off. So, for me, the scouting report was always, like, I can't even remember, but, I, you know, it was really kind of, you know, opening the forehand so I could get to his back end on the run a little bit more. But I just struggled. I struggled with his forehand cross, and, and it was hard. It was a hard matchup for me. Like, I just didn't like anything about it. Even though, like, the first – he was literally my first loss in college. That was up 6-4-5-4, I think 40-30, and I ended up, like, messing it up, and we ended up losing that seed 4-3. But yeah. I kind of had his number indoors, but then it was just, it was a hard matchup. Both of them, him and Johnny Wang, with the two hands on both sides. I wasn't very powerful in college, so I couldn't really um, – again, I had to kind of outsmart, outplay guys, but there, there, there's just sometimes I needed a little more raw power, and – there's some guys I couldn't hit through, and Johnny Wang was also another one of those. So it was tough. It was tough. Uh, those tough, two tough matchups that I had that it happened a lot. They kind of made it, made sure it, it happened. Yeah. So it's interesting because again, you get into such specific things, but you talk about seeing, you know, looking for those things in the warm up if you, you know, you don't have the chance to get film of your opponent, and of course you can hear things about them or maybe see them play a match before you in a tournament. But you know, what are the things you're looking for in the warm up? Um, just I don't know things that look like they they would break down. <laughs> just <laughs> technically, you know, grip. Um, you know, how heavy it hits the ball, what it seems like they like to, you know, position themselves, close stands, open stands, uh, you know, how they handle balls, like, right at them, like, when they have to, like, move, you know. So I just kind of experiment. I'll just go here, one here, one to the back, and one through the middle, and I'll just kind of, like, pay attention to those things. And and then the serve, just, again, looking for the cues that would, you know, give me if it's T or wide or something, so... 
it's a quick like three minutes they can learn a decent amount so uh, that's that was always my my thing yeah so then let's say you get into the match and this guy's just hitting winners you know he goes up a quick break on you three love and you find yourself down and you're like oh my god this guy is just on fire today what are the things you start to do to begin your adjustments you know how do you begin to approach players who you might think oh god this guy's just playing better than me today you know what are the changes you can make uh, sometimes not even necessarily, I mean, you can make changes, but, you know, depending on the level, if someone is really out hitting you, uh, really it's hard, anything that you can do, you know, technically to, to fix it. But I think mentally, if you kind of just stay in it, like just kind of keep making them play that well, um, usually people run out of like playing great. They'll be playing unbelievable, but they'll run out uh, of it by like you know the end of the match or something like that. Uh, that if you maybe stay in it as co- like within you know shooting distance, maybe like just one break or something like that, you might be able to get yourself back into the match. So um, again, just making sure that even if you technically or you know just the adjustments on the court might not be working. If you throw more slices, if you you know I don't know start moonballing whatever. Uh, but at least you're just make sure it looks like you're there, even though you might be getting beaten up, like look like you're there and until hopefully they stop playing great. And if they just play great the entire match and just shake their hands and move to the next one. <laughs> no, I think that's completely fair. Would you say, you know, I guess during the course of your career, was there a player who, you, I, I guess, who was, was there someone you beat who you're like, this guy is better than me. I can't believe I just beat him. Yeah, I mean, again, some, sometimes we just kind of put the opponent on a pedestal, right? Like, oh, I can't believe I beat him, or I can't believe like the match got this close, and we shouldn't. Um, obviously, within your range, right? Like, whatever it is, like, if you're playing, you know, juniors, like, if the guy's just ranked a little bit far, far above you like don't just make him oh like just because he's won a few more matches it's not that big of a deal you know what I mean? so with when we you're within the range of the level of your opponent even if they're a little, little bit higher just don't step on the court just like not believing that you can do it yeah you know I, I think again it gets back to so often we have this conversation on this podcast uh how important is the mental side of tennis uh yeah. half of it is belief there if you step on the court i mean again within reason i step on the court with you you know I, it doesn't really matter what i believe it's going to be a long day for me um yeah. if but for the majority of time you're not putting yourself in those sorts of situations and so again when you talk about how to beat players better than you what are the things you would emphasize? Um, don't not overplaying too much. You know, I'm not not thinking they have to step on the court and it's like, oh, today I'm gonna have to somehow somehow morph into this better player that that can do all these things that you just can't. So just stay within your lane, play it simple. Just don't give a lot. And then it kind of goes to the second thing, which would be like be able. To, be sure you're trying to be consistent, not just to hit a bunch of winners. Make the guy have to put away balls and have to play every point, even if he's winning every point. Make sure he's having to play him um, because, uh, you know, people get tired, people get annoyed, people get frustrated, whatever it is. And then, again, more technically, 
um, don't try to necessarily just hit harder. It's like, oh, this guy's better than me. I have to hit harder, but try to hit deeper. Um, you know, work on depth, however you can get there. If it's a deep slice, if it's just, you know, again, rolling the ball a little bit slower, but higher over the net, landing uh, further uh, away in the court, you're still going to keep not allow the, the other player to step into the core and dominate the core and just kind of make you hit it on defensive all the time. You keep them further back. And even if they go for winners, again, your guys are not playing Roger Federer. You know what I mean? You're playing club players. They're not going to be hitting winners five, six feet behind the baseline uh, just because they're, you know, you know, a 4.5 level. Like, so those, those kind of things are very important. And then, uh, you know, obviously believe believe they can do it. It's like step on the court, don't don't lose the the match before it even started. You know what I mean? Like make sure that you you know step on the court and play and be like, you yeah, know, what the f- ever happened? You know what I mean? Don't don't be like, ah, oh, this guy's that much better. He never loses this and that. Like shut up, just go out and, and play. You know what I mean? So those 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 are things that are really important uh, in those situations. Who is again the best player you think you beat? Uh, team. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I wouldn't say like, I mean, he was already like really good, but you know, he's sixteens. Yeah. Um. So you know, I've played, you know, other guys that I I was like, oh, that was that was a a good win. Like on you know thinking about the level they were playing and 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 whatnot like i wouldn't like i played team on clay like a year not even a year later a few months later and he was just like on just on another level i was like jesus <laughs> christ like, i didn't even see the ball yeah but no, yeah that was, but yeah kyle Adman actually i think we beat him once yeah uh, yeah no let's just keep going what about julian yurkwin was that one you just thought no i'm better than him no i was better than him <laughs> all right good that's no no no, that's that's perfect yeah no i I think that's all fair again it comes down to the mentality so much um you know when you're playing someone better than you you talk about don't play out you know don't get too risky don't play too loose but i i there is something to playing loose right are you someone who when you're playing someone better than you you play loose or you play high percentage tennis or is it somewhere in between um, I guess I, I wouldn't say like I'm necessarily, I'm necessarily like that much looser, mm-hmm. um, but you're obviously swinging a little more freely, right? You just okay. kind of, yeah. Um, you know, it's like you know, the, there's less of a responsibility, so you're just kind of like, oh, this is fun. I can maybe keep up, but I, I, again, it gets to the point sometimes in the set there, like you're you're playing with someone who's better than you, and you're like, oh my god, I can do this, and then all of a sudden, it, like, you feel surreal, and you're like. You crumble and then it's like seven five or like six four or whatever. Um, so you know, making sure you like getting over that hump of like, oh, I can hang it in to to the mindset of like, wait, I can hang it in, I can probably win this, and then like actually going out and do it, doing it. it that's kind of like the fine line. So I think uh, again, playing guys who are better than you or you know, better in quotes, uh, can be like a little freeing, but at the same time, it's you you don't end up like competing as well. Like a lot of people, like there's a lot of people who are not like that. A lot of people end up not competing as well and saddling for like, Oh, that was a good score. Yeah. No, I mean, I will, uh, I, 
again, I'll get, I suppose, my uh, version of this story. When we were seniors, we played a UCLA team in, in club tennis, and they were both freshmen, right? And, you know, in college, yeah. if you're better as a senior than you were as a freshman and you're not playing college tennis, there's probably something wrong with you. Um, of course, for me, that was the case. There was something wrong with me. But we're playing these two freshmen, and they're just still at the top of their game, right? And you can just tell everything's a little bit crisper. And, like, yeah. Rothman and I are looking at them, and we're like, uh, we might be in trouble. But, like, let's have fun. with Like, you know, I, these you know, like they, they just can't, these kids can't hang. Like, who cares about that? And we gave them the business because we literally faked it till we make it. We were like, no, no, these kids can't hang. Like, don't worry about it. Like, we're yeah. fine. And so I 100% agree. So much of tennis is mental. And so, yeah, there really is a pathway to beating players, you know, again, who are – you may be have cleaner-looking strokes or, you know, again, more aesthetically pleasing games. And it's just like, now, you know, if you lock in mentally, right, that's the key. Just lock in mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's, that's the key. It's just, again, uh, pretty strokes don't really win matches. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's something different. So, obviously – Having good strokes helps you just hit the ball better, but it it, it is a game. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a game that you kind of you know you just have the other guy on the side to try to out outsmart, outplay, and and you got to play that game like confidently. Like you can just like I'm hitting the ball well, therefore I'm gonna win matches. But it is not. Is not really a thing, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, becoming confident, all that stuff comes from winning and comes from, you know, just winning all the match. But, but at the end of the day, like, just having like a little bit more competition in you like takes you a lot further away than just like, oh, I have pretty strokes. Yeah. No. I completely agree with you. And again, uh, everyone should go check out the video, how to uh, beat players that are better than you, quotation, around better. And I think as someone who, again, doesn't always have the talent edge, I appreciate that because no one's better than me when we step on the court. Once we're in those lines, you're in my territory. Uh, But anyways, yeah, so everyone should go check out the video. And again, go check out the website, mytennishq.com. You can find things like five great rackets for your 12-year-old, how to choose a tennis racket weight, five reasons why tennis is good for you and more uh crew uh, you know again i gave them the website what else can they expect from you guys coming up uh more more of this man more, more of these tips anything that i can come up with that i'm i'm just kind of at home and i'm like yeah this will be a good video to talk about um sometimes again just teaching tennis just as a hit the ball this way this is the technique this and that it's fun, but at the same time, it's like tennis is so, so broad that way, right? That we, you know, you can teach the same thing a million ways pretty much and people will figure it out where I think we're in a position where where our experiences with certain things like this, you know, we're playing, you know, better players with, uh, with anything like that. Um, we're able to share just a little, little deeper insight uh of that so we're gonna keep doing that and again a lot more articles coming up uh just we've all been a little bit busy people are moving and getting engaged and things like that so um but yeah just a lot more of our typical quality content so make sure you're checking out I have a theory that this piece how to beat players better than you is just Austin's way of saying he can beat you now Karu yeah I mean 
he wishes that that video came out before all the times that we played in college <laughs> and in college no and and men's opens and pros we, we end up like we're always in the same draw it was really annoying if um, you and austin stepped on the court right now two out of three who's winning oh man right now i still i still take myself i can never <laughs> austin just Against me, like the he is exactly where he hasn't figured it out. Where's the hole? <laughs> uh, yeah, match, no. they are, we just match up too well for me. Yeah, no, that's fair. If I asked him that question, would he say he would win? I don't think so, man. I think he would say he would take me out on the golf course, but I don't know if he would <laughs> confidently say that after all the times we played. That's funny. No, I like it. Well, I think that's a solid place to wrap up today's conversation. Of course, again, uh, I appreciate you listening to me talk about our trips to Miami and Lexington to hear more about that again. You can really find most of that content on our YouTube channel. Just go search Cracked Rackets. Of course, you'll be able to hear that our thoughts on it on the Great Shot podcast, the mini break, the Cracked Interviews podcast, all those podcasts rocking and rolling. So go like, rate, subscribe, review. And if you missed anything, you can also find it all on our website, crackedrackets.com for the more immediate updates Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube it's at Cracked Rackets uh, a huge shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports Aerobar and Diadem for their support without which we wouldn't be able to go on the trips that we were provide the sort of on-site coverage uh, that allows us such great insight into what these players are thinking and you know there's more to come on our thoughts I'm sure I missed some of it today but uh, always got to sneak in a Technique Tuesday when we can so be sure again to go support our friends at MyTennisHQ.com. Shout out, as always, to the super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. Uh, again, I, I can't believe Westoff is still functional, but somehow he manages to go on site, record all of the stuff, come back here, edit all of the stuff, and present get it presentable for you fans. So uh, be sure to go check that out, and shout out to him, as always, for the job he does. But for my wonderful guest, my Tennis HQ co-founder, Carousel, our super producer, Max Fligner, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports Diadem and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Crew, what do we tell the people? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Take care.